podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, the shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it up. So welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take with me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin. We are on episode number 79 or, or 80 by now. It's, it's amazing this, how these have flown by. Hope everybody's well and hanging in there. Time's still fairly strange. We're all still waiting to see when exactly, if ever, we do get back to something approximating to normal. And our guest on the podcast today is somebody who has been biding his time during lockdown like everybody else, like every pro fighter has got itchy knuckles wanting to get back out there. And the time when that happens might not be too far away because we believe that a challenge for the British and Commonwealth welterweight titles is coming soon. He is mandatory. He's undefeated. He's done everything that's been asked of him so far. And one thing that's been asked of him recently, which I'm sure came as an enormous pleasure, was to work alongside me for TalkSport. So that's another that's another string to his bow. Um, it's Connor, the Destroyer Ben. Connor, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, mate. I'm sitting well yourself. Yeah, good. Can't complain. Can't complain. Um, so there's loads of things that we could talk to you about. But I thought what we would get into with you is what life is like or has been like as a professional boxer, how you made the transition into that life. Because we did a podcast a while ago last year in Birmingham uh, called This Boxing Life. And we're speaking to four retired good pros in in Paul Ramsey, Sean Cogan, Anthony Maynard, Darren Sweeney. Not big names, but they boxed to a good standard. And they were just taking us through what it was like being a pro fighter, they all had jobs as well, so it was unlike the situation that you're in, unlike the one that, that Matt was in. But to an extent, everybody walks the same path because you all have to do the same things. The conditions might not be quite the same, but you all have to walk that same walk to the ring. You all have to walk through that same fire once you get inside the ring. And your journey is quite unusual because, well, for a number of reasons, really. Number one, you've got the surname Ben, which makes things different, immediately makes things different. It's a blessing in a lot of ways. Uh, in others, I wouldn't go as far as to say that it's a curse, but heavy is the crown, I think would probably be the phrase. Heavy is the crown, if, if you've got that surname. Uh, enormously proud of it, though I know you are. Uh, but also, you had a brief amateur career, and in Australia, where, no disrespect to Australian boxing, but in Australia, where the standard of amateur boxing and the depth of amateur boxing isn't the same as it is here. So unlike Matt, who by the age of 18, when he turned pro, had done basically everything he could have done uh, and boxed internationally and, and, and picked up as much seasoning as you can do by that age, you weren't able to do that. So just what was it like when you very first turned pro? What was the kind of culture shock of it like? Um, it was loads, loads of things I, I had to wrap my head around. I didn't know what the APAs were, <laughs> which is a, a massive thing here. Um, how famous my dad was, 
um, and how different the industry is. Obviously, I didn't prepare. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't surrounded by boxers. My dad kept me so far away from the sport. The mindset of a fighter is is another thing I didn't understand growing up, and why my dad is the way he is. And you drill yourself for the years and years and years. You drill yourself with this sort of mentality, fighters' mentality, and I think that was uh, something that I struggled to wrap my head around. Uh, but then also carrying the the Ben name. It was um, it was all fun and games at first, until you know the going it really got going. Do you know what I mean? And it wasn't it wasn't fun and games anymore. Is you know I've got to knuck, really knuckled down and focus on my training and grafting. So there was a lot of things I had to come to terms with and wrap my head around. Uh, but I seem to have taken it in my stride, really. So at the very very beginning though, when you when you signed those forms, when you got the license, I'd imagine getting the license for you was was straightforward because you would have had something to show the board maybe some fights from online because sometimes they'll scrutinize some fighters more closely than others and the surname wouldn't necessarily be enough but once you got past those hurdles and you and you and you were then in the gym how did you find that that pro training to start with because it's I mean it's different um it's hard yeah it's proper hard graft I mean I mean Mom, I wish I was told how hard it was going to be you know, I've still got to come to terms with every morning at 6.30, I've got to get up and do sledge in the morning in a triangle for the next 10 years of my life. So um, I still ain't come to terms with that. It's um, it's one of the things you've got to spot. It's just so hard mentally as well. Um, I wish my dad told me how hard it was. Do you know I mean, it, all seem, it seems easy um, when you're watching and just watching a, a boxing fight before I turn pro. You watch a boxing fight and you think, yeah, they're just two guys in there going and having a fight. Uh, little do you know that you've got to have the mindset behind it, the will to want to train, the will to not get complacent, and and really show some grit in your in your teeth with training behind closed doors when nobody's watching, getting up and doing your runs, getting up and doing this and that, doing all the things you don't want to have to do to be able to perform come fight night. Because uh, I I do remember you're, you're you're quite open about about how you found it in your career so far and I know there have been a couple of times where well, you've said to me there have been a couple of times I think one was after an early fight against uh, Luke Kelleher which didn't go particularly great and you weren't that happy with your performance um, where you did sit down and think to yourself in, in the cold light of day or in the early hours of the morning whenever it was that you know in your words I'm not really sure if, if this is for me um, I think that's probably something that, that most people think at some point as a professional fighter but those they, they, that's those doubts have crept in. Oh, one hundred percent. I've had that creep in about three times in my career. Do you know what I mean? And you've just got to keep fighting. Do you know what I mean? Even mentally as well. My second fight with Luke Kelleher. Um, I don't know what happened. To be honest, I end up, um, you know, slapping him because um, I don't know what happened. I just I was slapping him. I think the lactic acid built up in my arms. And then my dad was giving me stick afterwards, saying I was hitting him with my mum's handbag and that. It was. It's, see, my dad. He's like. Um, He's all laid back and chilled about the whole, the the whole thing. He'll sit back and watch. Goes, son, listen, you'll you'll get through that. You'll get through that. He's very um, confident in me. Do you know what I mean? But when when I put on performances like that, it was like, am I actually made for this? And then you start seeing the comments on socials and Silver Spoon and only doing this because of his dad and and am I? Better? And then it makes you question yourself: Am I really built for this? And and time and time again, I've proven that I am. So, 
you know, you just got to push them dads to the back of there. When you have a bad performance, um, just come back better and, and work on the things. And every, every time I have had a hurdle, I've overcome it and come back better. Matt, those doubts are pretty are pretty common, aren't they? I mean, it's it's a shock to the system when you go professional, no matter what you've done as an amateur, because everything's longer, everything's harder, the gloves are smaller, the punches hurt more. And uh, I'd imagine you you would have had you would have had those occasions yourself. I'd have thought, would you? Those early early on, those kind of doubts whether whether maybe you're bitten off more than you could chew, possibly. Yeah, massively because you know, you know, my dad didn't box, and I didn't have that kind of pressure. But I had my own pressure and my own expectations. You know, I was a good amateur, turned pro, big fanfare of hype at that time, and certainly, you know, I had my goals and where I thought I was going to get to and be. And, and sometimes things don't. When, when you when you're dreaming the dream, you don't factor in the speed bumps and the hurdles and the setbacks. So when they happen, you have to deal with them and. Um, and there's fear, you know, there's fear of failure, there's fear of not being as good as you thought. And, you know, I, I was laughing there to myself when, when, when kind of was saying his dad's very kind of chilled out about it. And that's, that's because his dad knows the journey. He knows there's going to be speed bumps. He knows there's going to be performances where you try too hard and you don't perform well. But he knows there's going to be fights where you get hurt. It, you know, there's going to be, do you know what I mean? He'll know, there will come a time when you lose, that's going to happen, but you'll be all right. He knows if it's in you. And he, he, he'll know he'll know his son kind of better than anyone. And he knows the game. You know, his dad had losses early on. He got, you know, Michael Watson stopped him in six. But look, but he, everything, that's for the Commonwealth title. You know, I got knocked out by Jamie Moore for the British title. I was 24 years old. I thought my world was over. You know, I thought I was going to be world champion at 24. And I'm, you know, I've lost my second defeat gone to hospital, spent the night, am I going to buck, you know, and then I'm reading things, people saying, I'll never buck again. So, you know, the, the setbacks, there's journeys, but if you got, it's not just about being tough in the ring and having that grit. It's, it's having the tough, toughness and the character to stay the course and to keep the belief and keep going and keep that perseverance. When things aren't, even things outside of the boxing ring, in the business of boxing, things aren't falling for you. It's, it's, it's keeping the head that time too. And, his old man saying that to him, that'll be, his old man went through the mill, he knows, he was up, he was down, he come back, he had highs, he had lows, he had an unbelievable career. So he's he's come through the other end, he knows the journey. So when Connor said then his second fight and he didn't box as well, chances are he was probably trying too hard to impress because he's trying to live up to expectations, trying to live up to everything. He wants everyone to talk well of him. He wants to read the boxing news after and read road reviews. And he's reading it and people are saying, oh, he ain't that good. It kills you. It's wounded. But that's part of the course. And his old man's at the, the stage where he can laugh about it because he knows. It's, Listen, I know what you're feeling, but don't worry, you'll be all right. And it's, But when you're there, you, you know, it's it, every, you're hypersensitive, you know what I mean? So... It's uh, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny hearing the. Um, it's funny kind of thinking back and, and listening to kind of talking about where he's at, and then I can also appreciate where Nigel is, and he know you know what I mean. It's um, he, he knows what's ahead. He knows what's ahead of his son, and he. Um, but also, you know, and kind of probably, it, it's mad when you're young because you think everyone tells you this is what's going to happen, and you've got to work hard, you've got to train hard, and there's going to be disappointments, you've got to live the life, and you can't be going out and all this, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then when it's happening, you know, you know it's a bit different, you know. But uh, listen, I think I, I, like I said off, uh, just before we started, so Andy, I said, you know, 16 and 0, 23 years old, I think he's coming along at a really nice pace. I really do. I think he's, uh, he's in a great spot now. 
so so in terms of in terms of the the Ben surname, what I, what I'm curious about is by the time you were born, your dad's career was pretty much finished, like mid to late nineties. He was he was pretty much done. So at what point when you were growing up did you find out or realise, if you like, in sporting terms, who he was and, and what he'd done? Because we all knew, but we're older than you, so it was obvious to us. That's a hard one, because I lived in Spain. I went to a Christian school. I was raised around church, um, and that was my life. Um, Nigel Ben wasn't ever a, a massive a massive big deal um, in the house. It was never spoken about. He sold his two world title belts to a charity. Um, but my dad kept kind of coming back to England doing Q&A appearances and stuff like that. And I think maybe when I was 15, um, I realised I'd come... Uh, it was a Ricky Hatton fight that I went to my first ever boxing match and uh, Rich Hatton's last fight, yeah. My, and then they said Nigel Ben's in the in the building. And then, like, the whole crowd just, like, just went mad. And it was, it was like, it was surreal because my dad was just my dad to me. Like, he got on my nerves every day. Do you know what I mean? He was just my dad. Like, he used to tell me off and I used to, like, you know, he used to have an argument. And then when I got there, I was like, yeah, you're more than just my dad. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're a public figure. You're an icon. Do you know what I mean? So many people look up to you. And the way um, I felt that day was just un- unbelievable. You, you only get feelings like that very rarely in your life. And that feeling I got there of a sense of pride in my dad was, um, he's like my superhero. Do you know what I mean? Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! This is so crazy! Yeah, so that was 2012. Is that the fight against Senchenko, Hatton's comeback at the Manchester Arena? How old would I have been? Say again? I was born in 96, so how old would I have been then? 15, 16. Is that right? Yeah, so about around that age was when I was like, okay, Dad, something you you lot ain't telling me. <laughs> but I mean, that's 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 interesting because that's quite that's quite late, really. So was it? How soon did boxing start after that for you, or had it already started by then, or was that the point at which you thought that you wanted to do it? Yeah, so I went on a what's that ringside boxing with Johnny Nelson and Adam. What's what's that called? Is it ringside boxing? Used to be ringside, yeah. That's it, ringside, yeah. So I went on that. It was literally about, I was about young then, 15, 16, about a couple months before that, I started my, I laced up my first pair of gloves. So you took it up, you took it up in relative terms fairly, fairly late in that case. Um, And so the the journey from there to turning professional at 19 is a fairly, 
is a fairly rapid one. I mean, Matt, what are your when you look at fighters like Connor, like like Chris Eubank Jr., uh, and there have been others, or, or you know, the sons or daughters of any famous athletes, if they decide that pro sports for them, and if they're good enough, do you look at the weight that the surname carries and think, yeah, I'd have I'd have fancied that, or do you look at it and think actually? that could be more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's 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 a bit of both. I mean, the, the, I suppose in terms of my personal sort of um, experience around something like that, which was a little bit different because it weren't father-son, but Ricky Hatton and Matthew Hatton, mm. you know, that Ricky Hatton was a huge name. Uh, Matthew was a really good fighter, but he never really got the credit he deserved because, you know, Ricky was the bigger name and the cheaper and was, you know, the better fighter. But Matthew was still a very good fighter. Now, so you could say, some people could see it as a negative because you could say, oh, he's always in his brother's shadow, this, that, and the other. But then you could also, other, the other side of it is, well, you know, he probably got opportunities and he got sluts on cards that maybe he wouldn't have got for, you know, the way he was performing, the ability where he was at, he was getting opportunities that fighters that were probably better at the time weren't getting. So, you know, he, it was it was a positive and a negative. You know, he, I think it gave him, it afforded him the time to develop, you know, because he wasn't being under pressure. He wasn't being uh, thrown in there. He was kind of protected and looked after and allowed to develop at his own pace. But actually, if you look back on Matthew Hatton's career, he had he had a fantastic career. You know, he made 12 rounds with, with Sal Alvarez. He was uh, with Canelo, you know what I mean? Back, and I think he gave way away as well. He, I don't think he never stopped. Uh, he was European champion. He, you know, he ended up having, a, I think, 50-odd pro fights. He had a fantastic career. Very underrated fighter. I was part of many rounds with Matthew Hatton. I can tell you he was underrated, definitely. Um, so I, I remember, you know, he's he's fighting at the same time when his brother's getting all these rave reviews. And, you know, he's not. And he, in, he can tell that some people are thinking, ah, oh, he's only there because of his brother. Well, yeah, he's getting opportunities because of his brother. But he's still got to go in the ring and fight. Now, that's obviously different to father-son because, you know, they were fighting at the same time together. Kind of, you know, like he said, he didn't even really know that much about his father's career growing up and it kind of dawned on him and he'd only just started boxing about 15, 16. So, I mean, personal experience, I, I don't, the father-son thing, what would I... I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what way. <laughs> I don't know what I'd think about it, really. I think, like I said, I think it's a bit of both. I think you get opportunities, you, uh, you get spotlight, you get attention, that you wouldn't get, but with that comes more scrutiny, more criticism, more comparisons, more pressure. So it's a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think that's that, that's absolutely fair and and, and right. It's a, it's a double edged sword. So so we've kind of dealt with that with the with the the surname and the and the pressure that that brings. Um, so now let's just get into it because, as I said, there are things that make you different, uh, and that was one, and the the. The relatively late start was another and, and the brief amateur career was another. But then once it all starts, all of a sudden, despite the surname, despite signing with Matchroom, despite picking up that sponsorship with Reebok, all of a sudden, you're just the same as everybody else now because you've got to live that life and you've, and you've chosen it and you've got to get on with it and you've got to go to the gym and, like you say, and do the sled and do the triangle, which for those who don't know is an evil-sounding 1,100-metre run that they do in a triangle around the matchroom gym uh three sides to it as you'd expect <laughs> because it's called a triangle but the first one which i believe is maybe the longest one is uphill and quite severely uphill i've seen the start of it and 
you've got to do it in five minutes uh, or under, and then you get a minute's rest or you get a minute's rest starting from when the first person to finish finishes, and they do like six or seven of them. Just depending on the severity of that hill, I reckon I might be able to do one. Anyway, what? enough <laughs> enough, <laughs> enough of that, enough of that. Um, but yeah, serious point, no. When it all starts, all of a sudden, you find yourself in Ilford, which, okay, that's where, where your dad's from, but it's not really where you're from, um, and you're by yourself. And you've got this journey ahead of you. And people probably think, oh, Connor Ben, he'd have a driver and he'd have a concierge and he'd have a chef and he'd have this and he'd have that. But but that wasn't that wasn't the case. So what what was life like? So first off, quickly just before I get to this part, I um I come to England not planning on um I planned on boxing, but I was going to stay amateur for like three years to go to the Olympics, you know, do all the amateur things properly. Um, and that was when I was staying down um, Ricky Atten's gym. And I lived, I moved straight from Australia to Manchester, which, which was definitely, considering I lived in Spain and Australia for most of my life, it was a shock to reality. Um, so I knew my family not being there as well. It was, uh, it was one of them things where it was like, okay, where do I go from here? And my, I didn't have a job at the time, obviously. I'd just come in. My dad was giving me £50 a week. I remember I had no money um, and I had to call dad to ask him if he'd let me go, if he could transfer me £10 for, for a Chinese meal. And it was to that extent, my dad wanted me to show some accountability. I remember I had to call him up and, um, on occasions of times um, to go get some food and if he could transfer me some money. And then while I was training at Hatton's, um, my dad was like, oh yeah, you're going to have to look for a job and I was so I was like yeah that's fair enough I was only been in England now for about five months ago yeah try and find a job I was trying to look for a job as well I've got my certificate free for my master's degree in fitness so I was going to try and do some sort of sort of training in Hatton's gym and then I come down to Matchroom gym um, got invited down there my dad knows Tony my trainer from way back and I got invited down there but during this time I hadn't fought for a year I had one year fighting as an amateur and then the rest was training so I had, I think, 22 fights in one year um, or 23 as an amateur. Didn't and then box for a year when I come to England. Went down the matchroom gym, sparred um, somebody and and sparred exceptionally well. Um, and then last next thing, Tony was like, yeah, we'll turn you pro. Um, and then having that talk with my dad, I had to get Kevin Mitchell to beg my dad to let me turn pro. And, and then, yeah, I... That, you know, you can turn pro. I was like, brilliant. We're all, we've all agreed all rounds. And I used to get up then, before my first fight, I used to get up and walk from Ilford Station, walk from Henley Road. Do you know where Henley Road is? Yeah, yeah. Ilford's just down the road from where I live. So yeah, I do. So Henley Road to Ilford Station, I used to walk, uh, used to get up at five in the morning, leave by 5.30. You got to remember, this is a massive shock to me. I had no one on my case telling me to do this. And this is why I think Tony signed me. Uh, because I used to get up at five in the morning, walk to the train station. It's still pitch black dark, whether it was in summer or in winter. And I can assure you in winter, it was horrific. Um, and I used to catch the train to the gym, do my training, then sleep at the gym, and then do my second session, then train it back. And all of this was done before I'd even seen any sort of money. Do you know what I mean? I weren't, it weren't like, oh, yeah, bomb is a massive signing on fee, or bomb is my dad's giving. No, it's still on £50 a week. So, and, and I've, sometimes I forget that. 
Do you know what I mean? Because it was, and that, that showed my, I, I didn't have to get up. I didn't have to get up and train in the morning. So for those who want to slate me, yeah, so many ki kids who have rich parents, kids out there who are spoiled, who do nothing with their, 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 their opportunities. I've chosen to take my opportunity, despite all the criticism and stick I may get, because some people wouldn't, wouldn't do that. They don't know how to do that. You know, is it wrong to be ambitious? Is it wrong to want to achieve something or wrong to want to reach my full potential? For some reason in this day and age, it seems to be the wrong thing to do. Don't chase your dreams or you're going to get loads of hate from people who... who and and I, I never knew people were going to be like that. I didn't expect it. What, what have I done wrong to make you guys feel like this? What have I, what have I done personally wrong? You know, and, and that was something I really had to learn on the spot. Because it's safe to say, yeah, I grew up in a bubble. I did grow up in a bubble. I sometimes dabbled in and out of the bubble because I was that kid. But I was probably raised in a bubble. I weren't raised to be hard. I weren't raised to be, um, I, you know, the Christian lifestyle. And that's how I was raised. So me coming in, it was a massive shock to, the, to everything. My whole life had changed. Do I, do I change it for anything? No. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. It does sound though like your like your old man was he was almost doing his best to put you off it or to make it as hard as it could be. And, and, and Chris, Chris, Chris Eubank Jr. He like senior did the same thing. Basically he said, all right, if you want to box, then go over to Vegas by yourself to professional gyms and spa and see how you like that. But I guess in a way, like it is so hard, this life that you choose to, to lead you fighters, that that is the only way you, you, you it's tough love, isn't it? That's, that's exactly what it is. And my dad wrote, my dad from young raised me firm, their appreciation of money, level of respect. I remember I missed weight as an amateur once. I was like two pound over like, as an amateur. And my dad went off of me. Like he went, you're so embarrassing. How dare you embarrass me? And I thought, oh, all right then, mate. Like, <laughs> I'm just doing this for fun and games. They were nothing, nothing deep. But, and he was, he was very firm, my dad. But little did I know, it was harsh love. And little did I know that he was preparing me for a day like today. And because my dad was just, he was, he was a very firm man. He's like, my dad was like, he's like military. Do you know what I mean? With everything I've done. And, and, and that clearly is, you know, happened for a reason. Didn't they, didn't, um, didn't Tony and your dad spar back yeah, in the day? That's, that's true, true, isn't it? I think I, I heard that on Tris's podcast, Tris Dixon, when he did his podcast with, 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 with your dad a few weeks ago. It's amazing how these things kind of come come full circle but Matt, Matt it's interesting to hear all of that because I had an idea that 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 was what it was like I didn't know the I didn't know the details and and really what it shows and we touched on this with Dave last week Dave Coldwell is that it comes down to hunger and desire boxing more than most other sports that's what it's about because you you yourself are from a fairly untypical boxing background in that um you know, you, you, your parents did, did did well enough. I don't think 
money was ever a real particular problem. You you did well in education. You you started university. Um, you had other options basically, um, but you chose this. The pair of you. you. You could have done other things, but you chose this, and and that's what it comes down to. You have to choose it and then see if it's for you. Yeah, I mean it's a funny one. So yeah, I went from like the streets or hard background. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. I was we were normal. You know, but. I'd, I did do well at school, did start a law degree, so definitely had other options. Um, and, I, and also I was very good at some other sports as well, so I could have gone, probably if I focused more on those, I could have gone into those. But the boxing, as I've said to you many times, Andy, was just, you know, the highs and the lows of boxing. You know, it, there was no comparison to other sports, in, and that was the addiction to the boxing. You know, when you win in boxing, you're just on this high that, even if you've got man of the match and scored a hat-trick in a football match, it doesn't even come close to comparing. And the flip side to that is when you lose, you're rock-button devastated. And again, if you lose and you play shit in football, oh, well, we're playing next week, you know what I mean? You're pissed off and you're gutted, but it's not the end of the world where when you're losing boxing, it feels like it's the end of the world. So there was that. And it comes down to, you know, you talked, you said hunger and desire there and competitiveness. You know, I was, I was so competitive. I wanted to win at everything. You know what I mean? It was, I remember what years ago when I was a kid, my football coach came in after he dropped me back and you know, said to my mum and dad, you know, can you just let Matthew know he doesn't have to win at everything? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's okay type thing. But, but anyway, uh, you know, that's, I don't want to go off on a mad tangent here, but, you know, it's a bit like, say, you know, father, sons, and we say it a lot. You know, look at Eddie Hearn. People people give Eddie stick, oh, born with a silver spoon. He might have been born with a silver spoon, but he works as hard as if he's never been fed. That's how hungry that man is. He doesn't sleep. Like he said, he brought a book out called Relentless. He's a grafter. Yeah, he might have been, he might have, uh, you know, I don't know. He, he might have been given a position that he wouldn't have been uh, given all, um, under other circumstances. But in my opinion, he has more than filled those boots. You know, it's a bit like it's a bit like the Godfather. You know, Don Corleone, Don, and Michael Corleone. All right, Michael Corleone was. You know, they, they'd made it. He was born into that role. But listen, and yes. the Godfather Two is funny because it compares. You know, Robert De Niro, the young Vito, and the young Michael. Now, young Vito come over. He was an orphan from Sicily. He had nothing. Michael was, and he was born into a multi-millionaire at that time, or whatever it was, family. But it, it, it was still in him. You know, uh, I said it when you were boxing one night, kind of, I said, you know, what's in the cat is in the kitten. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it, 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 you know, not always, but, 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 but usually, and, you know, it, you know, your, your old man got put down and got hurt in fights, but he was never out of it. He had that bang and you're like that. Now he was ABA champion and he was, a, he had an amateur pedigree. He was brought along differently, but I've said it to Andy several times. I said, so, and, I, and, you know, I managed a kid called Michael Conlon, who was, had like 350 amateur fights. He was world amateur champion. He boxed in two Olympic Games. You know, he's as decorated amateur, probably the most decorated that the island has ever had. He's, he's right up there. Now, his journey, he was 25 years old, turning professional. His, his journey couldn't be any more different to yours. But that doesn't mean, you know, you might go on and have a better career as a professional. Who knows, you know, Canelo Alvarez turned pro very young. Look where he's now. Not everyone who becomes a legend in boxing was an Olympic gold medalist. There are many, there are many different routes to the top. And uh, 
like I, like I say, I've said it to Andy several times. I said, you know, people not kind of, I said, you don't even, none of us can possibly say how good this kid is going to be. Someone like, you know, again, I'll, I'll refer to a Michael Conlon or, you know, even a Joshua Boatze. You know, they're already very well schooled. They're already, they've had so much experience already. Their rate of improvement, they're going to get better and they're going to improve and the fights and the journey will take them up there. But their rate of improvement, we can probably forecast it, do you know what I mean? Predict it. We ain't got a clue how good you might be. Because yeah. you're, 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 you're still so relatively, relatively speaking, inexperienced. You're, work, you're learning on the job. You know, so we, but what we do know is you, you're blessed with power. You're, you're blessed with, with heart. And they're things you can't teach anyone. You know, you can't put in what God left out. Yeah. You, know, you can't make someone want it. And I'd say your old man and like Chris Eubanks seeing you there, they're, they're not stupid. They came through their way and they're thinking, you know, yeah, my son's had it quite easy compared to what I have it. So I want to see if he really wants it because this, this is a hard road that he's about to go on. So, you know, I need to, I'm going to throw him in tough early in terms of the living. Because, listen, when we're in the gym and there's everyone watching and you got the pressure, everyone wants to dig in and, and, and you got that competitiveness in you. But when you're sitting in a room on your own, you've got to get up at five in the morning, you've got to get a train here and you've got to go there and you've got to diet. Do you really want it? Well, you're yeah. going to do that first. And if you come through that and you prove to me that you really want it, well, then we can have a, a bit more of a chat and I'll, I'll, I'll try and open some doors for you. That's what I imagine was the thinking behind uh, your old man doing that with you. Yeah. So how, how have you found the, the, I mean, Matt talks quite a lot about the loneliness of being a, of being a fighter, of being an individual athlete, because you're kind of living for the gym because that's when you get to see people. That's when you get to socialize and, and you were by yourself because you do have some family over here, but, but, but your dad and, and, and the rest of the family were back in Australia and they're long days. You know, you are just, you're eating, you're sleeping and you're training and you're repeating that. And that's it. There's nothing glamorous about it. Nothing whatsoever. And there's a lot of time to think. And you do strike me as a bit of a thinker, which can be, I mean, that can be hard. That can be, that can be bad almost. I mean, how do you, how do you navigate the, the downtime? Um, I don't know. Sometimes I go a little bit loopy. <laughs> you know, you got you got to just learn not to run away with your thoughts. I mean, I'm my, I keep myself in check, and I really keep myself in check because the life that I live is such a good life. I live such a blessed life. I've managed to save my money. I've managed to buy my own home, drive around nice cars, um, and then I get worried because I live this way of living, which isn't any normal fighter's way of living. So I make sure I keep myself in check, um, and I really do. And that's what I spend most of my time thinking about, is if I'm not training, would I have trained when I ha didn't have anything? Would I be doing this if I didn't have anything? So I'm constantly... And then I think to myself, well, I was raised like this. I was raised better than this. I, I was raised you know, with my own jacuzzi overlooking the, the beach in my own bedroom with an ensuite. I had a jacuzzi in my bedroom with a balcony. So as far as it goes with, I know, as far as it goes with luxury, no, I, this ain't what, people go, oh yeah, it's um, harder getting out of bed with silk pyjamas. Um, 
not really. I get out of bed in my silk pyjamas, my heated Range Rover seats, and I get to the gym, and I'm there early, and I smash the times as quick as I can, and then I go back home, go back to sleep, and go back to the gym, and go back home, and go back to bed, and back to the gym again. That's what I do every Tuesday. So as far as it goes with, um, and that's why I have to think in my head, is it ain't the materialistic things that are what drives me. Because I've grown up with it. It's not like, oh, I, I love that, you know, I'm, I'm not a materialistic man. Do I like the finer things in life? Yeah. But do I want to have something more sustainable? And the level of success I want to reach is the level of success my dad has had out the ring. What, for being, not being not having to work for 23 years, being able to spend all that time with his kids, being able to, you know, look after, well, be, be with my mum and them actually live. That's the level of success I want to reach. You know, world, world titles. And, you know, so when people go, oh, yeah, you know, he's getting complacent or, nah so far from the mark and that's what I think in my downtime majority of the time that's my trail of fall that's why I'm getting up and going to the gym now on a Sunday and I trained yesterday I train I train every day I keep myself in check I mean you were you were young when you turned pro and I remember talking to you in Manchester when you were 19 I think it was your second or third fight maybe and I just asked you a really normal question that I would ask anyone, you know, what are you looking to try and do in the next 18 months, two years? And you're kind of, you're laughing now because we talked about this the other day at TalkSport and you said to me, oh, and and I want to be a world champion in two years. And uh, I just kind of, kind of inwardly laughed to myself when you said that. Um, But the, but there was nothing wrong with you saying it because it's never going to happen. It was never going to happen, but that's the kind of thing you expect a 19 year old to say. But at the same time, there must have been stages during your career at which you realised, ah, right, okay, this timetable's probably going to need to be revised a little bit. You've learned a lot in the last four years, I think, is what I'm is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it's hard graft, man. Like you think you're you. It's always one punch, and after the pain I thought was when it really hit home. It's only one punch. You only need to get hit with one punch. If you're not switched on for a split second for a certain fight, this British and Commonwealth title fight for me, for example, I switched off for, you know, two seconds in that fight. The four years I've just had has gone, you know, tits up. So it's, it's just, um, you, you just really got to stay on the ball. Um, as far as it goes with being a world champion, is it, is it a big ask with the current world weights in the division? Yeah, it is. But then, so was it for David and Goliath. Do you know what I mean? So I work hard day in, day out. And it's, and it's got to a stage for me where as long as I reach my full potential, as long as I really go, yeah, you know what? I've done everything I can in training. Because I know I'll do everything I can in a fight. That goes without question. But I know I've left no stone unturned. I know that my diet's been bang on. And like for years and years of graft, I've been determined. I've been doing what I've had to do. I've not cheated the hustle. I've done exactly what I needed to do. I haven't got complacent. Um, my mentality hasn't changed. And as long as I stay the same way I'm staying and stay on the course, if I, I'll, reach whatever I, I'll reach whatever I reach. World, world title will be nice, very nice. I'll be sitting cushy then. But the reality is I'm here for, for a good time, not a long time. I think with my style, um, you know, I'm here for a good time, yeah. So you, you mentioned that fight against Cedric Payno and it was it, it was one that anybody who watched it and we were both there for it won't forget. That was late 2017 at um, at York Hall and 
Pano wasn't really expected to cause too many problems. But if you looked into his background, then there was something there because he, he, he'd been a successful kickboxer. He knew he knew what he was about. He put you down heavy twice in the first round, and I remember, I remember, I remember it really, really well. Probably better than you do, actually. Um, and uh, I remember looking at Matt and just thinking, <laughs> I remember looking at Matt and just thinking, "Wow, this is this is really going to be interesting." Now, if he can get through this, then that will really that will really tell us something. I mean, what do you remember about that? I'm always interested in this because. Yeah, Often you see fighters get to the end of a fight and they can't remember being knocked down early in the fight. Now, you suffer head trauma in boxing. That's just an inescapable fact of life. Um, and there's a lot more research being done on it now than there has been previously. But, you know, you walk in the rain, you're going to get wet. But after a kind of a fight like that, you're then sitting on ringside and immediately you've got Andy Scott there with a microphone. I mean, what do you remember about that fight? Um, all I remember was saying Charlie Big Bananas. <laughs> that was the only thing I remember saying, um, and I don't, I don't really. Um, I was fighting on fumes. I don't know. Um, it was like my, I remember Tony slapping me in the corner. Um, in the fight, I remember I went back to the changing room, and then everyone's come in, like Tony Nelson, Tony Bellew, and I'm. And I'm like, you know, trying to hold it together. Like, I'm getting emotional now. I'm trying to hold it together. Thinking, fuck, don't break down here. Don't, don't, just don't do it. Because I was in a room full of fighters. I was like, don't break down. And then, and then I was, I just, ball just broke. I just couldn't believe it. Uh, I was like, yeah, it was, it was probably um, another day. I thought, yeah, it's a definitely end for me now. And it confirmed it. I was ready to just pack, hang up the gloves and go, yeah. Uh, that's me done. Do you know what I mean? If I can't beat this geezer, um, then there's no future for me in boxing. But the reality is, I come back off um, four four great wins. I believe it was four or five great wins. Come back from New York, except I didn't plan on fighting. So I in New York, I went out. You, you're going to celebrate. When you fought full way in New York, you're going to go out and celebrate with the team. So I went out. We went to the One Oak Club. Um, I've been there. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, went out to the One Oak Club, was, was you know, drinking, was partying, I was celebrating. I couldn't believe, believe it. I thought, I thought, just thought in New York, I've met, just met 50 Cent. And that, this was another highlight. 50 Cent has gone to me. The guy gone, oh, that's kind of been the 50s. Like, I know who that is, man. And then I was like, yeah. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going out here and I'm like turning up. And I did. I didn't plan on fighting. I thought, that's been a great year. That's me done. Um, at the, every, it's got Dunkin' Donuts on every corner of New York. Like every, so I was eating Dunkin' Donuts. So I had to come back, have a three-day photo shoot with Reebok. Um, and you to, to speak at that time and your head was like a beach ball. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and I had to lose a stone and a half um, in two weeks for the fight. Um, and then they said to me, oh, do you want to fight this guy? I was like, yeah, I'll get nicely get paid before I go to Miami. Um, and that was it. I had the part after party ready for the fight. All that. Yeah, so and that, that's what happened there. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun 
we're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. Well, I was going to say, that's the first little taste and test, and luckily you got away with it, of, of believing your own hype, of complacency, of overlooking things, and you know you nearly paid the price. Luckily you didn't. But also, <clears throat> you said you were there going, oh, I can't beat this geezer. But you did beat that geezer. And you got off your ass to do it as well. So, all right. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. of course. Oh, well, of course, I know. But technically, tactically, skills, terrible performance. Let's say, and you know, you took it lightly, and you overlooked it, and you're probably kicking yourself for doing that. But ultimately, you take. There's always positives and negatives, and ultimately, you still showed that night. There was a lot of positives. You dug in, and when you were on a night where nothing was going right for you, and you know, boy, no, let's not beat around the books. You're boxing, shy. You dug in. You dug in. You dug in, and you found a performance. You found you found what you had to find to get to win, and that's something you can't teach someone. But so you say so you're saying that. I now this day have to deal with the what what ifs in my head because of that night. Irrelevant of whether I beat him again easy, I still deal with the what ifs of that fight and I believe I am a lot less I know I say that but I know how I go into the fight preparing in my head so I know you may go oh yeah but your fight with Juicy Koivula you know you went in and had a fight and you took him out or um, the other fights I go in less relentless in my head Um, and sometimes I want to get I want to be as relentless as I was before the pain art fight yeah, be, I think with something like that is, look, you know, that, that, that sort of tenacity, that hunger and all that, the aggression, aggression, we'll say, really said relentless, but let's say aggression, being aggressive, being exciting, going for the knockout. You know, you can't just blast everyone out in boxing and you go through the levels in the 12 round fights. They're good fighters, they can take it, they can defend. So you don't want to be, you know, blowing yourself out, punching yourself out, being overly aggressive, pouring it all on. What you've got to do, you've got to keep that fire burning. You never, ever want to lose that because that makes you who you are. But you've just got to learn to harness it and conserve it and know when to put it on and when to get it off. And that's, that's what you will get as you have these fights now and you step up the levels and you'll have tough fights and you'll have learning fights and you'll blow some guys away. And you'll be, they'll be great nights as well. But it, it's all part of your makeup now. It's all part of your education. It'll be all part of your seasoning. We talk about fighters being seasoned. You can have 50 fights, but if you're blowing everyone away, you won't get the necessary seasoning that you'll yeah. need step up through the levels so it's it's you know what you're sort of that mindset there about oh, i want to be explosive i want to be relentless yeah you do but also you can't just blast everyone away either so you've got to know you've you've got to conserve it and you've got to harness it yeah so so when you've when you've had these 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 demons these doubts that are you know sitting in your head there telling you maybe this isn't maybe this isn't for me maybe I shouldn't be doing this have, have they always been internal or have you have you said that to 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 your dad or to Tony or to anyone around you and they've had to talk you down or or have you done it yourself because you think you talk about that pain fight 
how long did it take you to be positive about that? Because, okay, it, it wasn't what you wanted to happen, but ultimately, ultimately, that was a big box ticked. I'm still getting over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still getting over it. And do you know what? I, what, I, what I say is what fighters think. I see so many fighters out there giving it the big end. And I'm, I'm, they think, they, Macklin, you know, they, I'm just honest about it. I, t- I just talk about it. I'll, I'll say what's, what's going on. Do you know what I mean? I'll give you the transparency. So when something like that happens to someone, they'll go, yeah, give it all. Nah, yeah. It's not, yeah, it does affect you as a fighter. Well, I've never hit a deck before in my life. Yeah, people, people, you're right. People, you're, you're honest about it. Some people don't want to talk like that because they don't want to show a weakness. But whether you show it or not, we, we all know that everyone feels it. You know, if you're oh, really- you know, so being open and honest about it, you just you just being you're just being straight. You know what I mean? I'm saying, yeah, I was myself, I was nervous, I was beating myself up and thinking I'm not good enough. But it's coming through that every single day you're having in boxing, where you're doing a hard session. You got the devil and the angel. You got the one person telling you you're fucked. You are. You need to quit. Blah blah blah. And then you got the other one going, nah nah, come on, you can do it. And that's just that internal battle. It's not. Yeah, but you say that, and it happens on a daily basis. One minute, one minute, like, and, it, it's, and it's half weird because I'll be, I'll be one day, I'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm the dog's box, yeah, what, you know, I'm good, I'm, I'm, you know, like all these Americans going, yeah, I'm all that, yeah, who wants, and I, and I think like that, and then on the other hand, something may come up, and then it go, yeah, but am I really, or am I delusional? So, and then, and then you, um, it's like a constant back and forth with in my own head, and it's not healthy. So I have to voice it. I voice it to my missus because I know it ain't healthy if I keep these. And then she'll go, what's the matter with you? Or why? Why? And my, your mood can just change because it can be, it's just so simple as reading a comment and then, or some, another fighter saying this. Like I read an article of um, um, Liam Taylor saying, I don't deserve this. I don't, I don't, and, then, and then you can... And then you go in my head, yeah, all right, well then, I'll fight you next then, mate. And then Sue's talking. And I'll show you who deserves it. And then, and then you can get into a rage in your head. Do you know what I mean? And this is not just one person for me. This is about four or five fighters who I'd love to bang out. Do you know what I mean? Who are claiming I'm, I'm, I'm worried. So and then, it, as you said, it's a constant battle. Do you know what I mean? And then you go, hold on a minute, you're like almost 30 years old. You fought, no, you fought nobody except two people, one of them you lost to. Um, 21 built-up records. So then when you look at me, you know, not a Mitchell career, 23 years young, 16 and 0, come through adversity, come through some you know, hurdles in my career, at fault with injuries, at broken jaws, knocked out three-time European title challenger, Juicy Koivala, that Joseph Sahandrik just fought that um, uh, former IBF and IBO world champion. Uh, so when you're talking like that, then I think, yeah, do you know what? I, no, I am, I am what I say I am, and I've proven it time and time again. All the other has got tough. I've always come through the other side of the tunnel. So, but then you're, I'm in a constant battle. And if I don't, I don't pray. If I don't say, God, please give me peace, because you brought me here. I didn't plan this. You opened the door. I didn't open this door. You did. So then don't, <laughs> don't let me down. I'll do what I've got to do as a soldier, but don't let me down. 
Yeah, but you wanted it, and that's why you are where you are. But this is what, you know, be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. You are where you are now is where you, uh, somewhere a while back, you wanted to be. Now, yeah. with that come the trappings and the, 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 you know, the highs and all the rest. But with it comes pressure, with it comes scrutiny, with it comes jealousy, with it comes yeah. all the numbers and the naysayers and bits of people who don't, who don't do nothing. But you just got to accept that that's part of success. Do you know what I mean? So if you, where are you going to be? Not be successful, you know, not achieve. If you want to achieve and you want to be successful, you have to accept that you're going to have an element of bullshit that comes with it. And you just yeah. got to take that's part of the yeah. journey too. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't get it because do you know what? I'd never actually, like when I actually sit down and think about it as a person, I'd never slag off any other British welterweight fighter. Like, I, I may have a little, you know, with the Kelly. That's personality clash. That's all that is. We're two completely different sorts of people. I never slag him off. I know how hard this sport is. But I don't get why so many people in the division want to slag me off. Fighters. I mean, like, I want you guys to do well. I, I'm rooting for you. But I'm not sure if it's like that in America or if it's just here. Like, I want you guys to do well. I want you guys to put, Brit you know, Britain on the map. The baddest welterweights in the division are in Britain. That's how I look at it. I don't know why. I don't know if that's. Well, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's called envy, isn't it? There's, you know, there'll always be envy and there'll, there'll always be comparisons. And I think that's why people, you know, I think you've just got to stay in your own lane and don't be comparing to other people because it's like the only person you've got to be better than is is who you was yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The competition with and just keep getting better and keep getting better and stay the path, stay the course. And listen, that's gonna. If you, the more as you progress forward and you achieve, you'll have more and more and more of that. But you'll, as you mature, you'll learn. You'll just learn to push it off a lot better. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's it's all about staying focused and running your own race. But but with regard to what other fighters say, obviously it's it, it as you've outlined, it must be incredibly irritating sometimes if people if people call you out and say this and say that. But I always think the glorious thing about boxing is that fighters really, to an extent, I don't mind what they say because there will be a reckoning and they will have to back that up. I'm less keen when other team members start piping up because I just think, well, you're not the one that's going to have to get in the ring. But if you're a fighter and, and you start giving it some big chat, then at some point, probably, if that fight comes to pass anyway, you're going to have to try and you're going to have to back that up. Um, just to pick up on something you, you you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, which which me and Matt talk about a bit, and which I always find really interesting, is this tightrope that that fighters have to walk between confidence and, as you described it, a bit of self delusion. And I remember when we were in at Talksport a couple of weeks ago. I think the first time we we were on together for the fight against Carl Frampton. I, I kind of raised that in the conversation. I said, well, you know, the thing about professional boxing is that, as I understand it really, you know, you've got to be completely confident. And sometimes that confidence will, will border on self-delusion. And your ears just kind of pricked up a little bit. Um, and he did ask me later in the conversation, well, but, I mean, do you think do you think I'm deluded? Um, and I said, well, no, because at the at the... At the, the where you are in your career, you're looking to challenge for a British and Commonwealth title, and I think that's perfectly, perfectly feasible. But I mean, it is. It's. I don't want to. I'm no. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I mean, it's almost walking the tightrope between sanity and insanity, and that strikes me as being a pretty difficult world to inhabit. 
Um, you could well say I was delusional when I said I'd win the world title in two years. <laughs> you could, but now it's got to um, a stage where I, you, don't, you will never hear me going, you will never ever, I don't think that I've even said even when I was then, I said, yeah, I'd like to be champion in two years. I'd like to be. It wasn't my reality. The problem is, is some people, you know, it's their reality. And you, and you look at me and think, are you sure, mate? Like, are you really sure? Do you know what I mean? And, and then I'm, with myself, I don't, I, I'll reach, as long as I reach my full potential. You don't hear me going around saying, yeah, I'm going to be the undisputed and I'm going to be this and be that because the reality is, I don't know. That's the reality. I don't know. But the, what I can tell you is I will work as hard as I can and I will reach my full potential, whatever that is. Whatever that is, if I'm progressing at the rate I'm progressing and I don't hit a ceiling, who knows? But British and Commonwealth title is next. And I'll be over the moon to grab that. I, I can say to my dad, listen, you won the Commonwealth in your 17 fight. I won the British and Commonwealth in my 17 fight. So I have that. Forget the WBC because I didn't get it. I, I wouldn't, you know, I could just have that's it. That's it now for him. So and those are the, those, that's what I'm happy with. Maybe with the steps, you've got to take so many steps. You've got European. Yeah, British and Commonwealth, European, world. Yeah, so, so many um, hurdles you get or get over. As long as I reach my full potential, I'm happy. Well, I think that's 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 all you... That's realistically and logically, rationally, that's the only way to approach it. But, but sometimes in professional sport, you have to choose to step away from the logical and rational, I think, at times. And, and not listen to what other people are saying to you basically about what they feel is, is logical and rational about your, your chances of achieving certain things. That's just, it's, 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 it's what you have to be able to do. I think it's what you have to be able to do. Like yeah, you know, if, if he's not, if, you know, if Connor's not hoping and dreaming and, and, and believing to become world champion, what, what's he doing? It, so in that sense then, so this fight against Chris Jenkins, it'll be the top and bottom of it. That's all he's visualised and dreamt of to be British champion. Well, then what do you do? I mean, you, you've got to have the dream. the dream, And you know what? Have no limits to that dream. And I'll break that dream into, uh, you know, long-term goals, medium-term, short-term, achievable goals. And just start, just get to that one, just get to that one. And then just stay on the course. And, you know, who's to say you can't get there? Why can't you get there? Like you say, your old man got stopped for a Commonwealth title by Michael Watson. I got knocked out. Woke up in hospital, losing for the British title. I was 24 years old against Germany. I went and fought, you know, for the world title three times after that. Should have won one in Germany. You know, fought pound for pounders in Sergio Martinez and Golovkin. So, you know, where kind of Ben is at 23 years old, 16 and 0. Why can't he become world champion? I think he can become world champion. He ain't going to become world champion right now. That's not where he is on his journey. But he definitely can be. He's just got to keep believing and keep achieving and keep improving and just stay one step at a time. And you're not there yet. You're, yeah. you're fighting for the British and Commonwealth title. That's where you are now. And that's unbelievable progress for where you've come from. Be happy. Congratulate yourself. And then also, it's a mad one. Be happy with your act. Never be happy because you always want to improve. You always want to get better. But also, you've got to take a step back and realise where you are on your journey, where you are right now is somewhere you dreamed of being when you was getting the tube from Ickford and you was like getting up at five in the morning and you had no pro career and all that, or after the pain of fight and you're thinking, maybe this isn't for me. Where you are right now was somewhere you dreamed of being. It's a part, it's a destination along the road that you're travelling. Who's to yeah. say you can't be world champion? I certainly wouldn't say it. Yeah. So before we let you go, 
Um, there's something that we that, that we have to touch on, and uh, I know that uh, Gareth um, outed you for this on Talksport a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, um, so an unlikely kind of almost mentorship has 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 emerged over the last few. Well, I mean, you'll be able to tell us for how long. I'm not sure, and that's basically that that Chris Eubank Senior now has taken it upon himself to to uh, to to WhatsApp you um, with his philosophical musings, I think, on on life and boxing uh, and this boxing life, which is what we've been talking about for the last for the last hour. So, I mean, how did that how did that happen? T- t- talk us through it. Um, <laughs> do you know what? I never got on with Eubank, especially after he um, he chose to give me stick at a press conference. And I thought, ain't letting you talk to me like that, mate. And 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 then I see him at Mayfair once, and we had a chat, and we had a good chat for about two minutes, and then and then the rest was just just like yeah, the two minutes all was good, and then we, he messaged me out of the blue, no, from nowhere. That I can help you, um, and then he he has actually genuinely helped me mentally um, in terms of the fighters' mindset, fighters' mentality, how to think, how to approach things. Um, whereas now my dad, on the other hand, I've got the best of the both worlds right there because my dad's very set. You know, there's no can't say that, but there's no thinking process with my dad. He's very emotionally driven. A very what he says is very emotion emotional, whereas Eubanks on another note is sit down, think, process things, and then you know move forward. Um, and he's just he's just helped me with loads of things. I'm not going to say what, but he's helped me with the mindset um, of going into the ring with the mindset of a fighter, and how to deal with things he had to deal with. Because believe it or not, he's dealt with things I've had to deal with um, mentally. Um, so yeah, he's, he's helped me out a lot massively. I still haven't had to talk with my dad and told him yet, but <laughs> that'd be an interesting one to see how that goes, Dan. What do you think he'll? What do you think he'll say? Well, Eubanks asked for my dad's number, and I know my dad wouldn't have given said given him the number, but I gave him <laughs> gave him the number, um, and I, my dad hasn't called me and complained about it. So obviously, I don't know what he'd say about it. It's, it's interesting. I, I, as I said, I listened to the I listened to the podcast Dixon did with 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 Nigel, and it's really zen these days. Your old man. It's it's kind of it's uh, it just shows how how people can change really, uh, and and you're always going to be different. I think when you when you finish boxing, because all of a sudden you don't have to take yourself to that place anymore to get ready to to get into the ring and, and, and do battle with a, with another person. But yeah, he really is quite Zen now. Whereas, you know, when he was fighting, he was kind of a, he, he was a man of mayhem really, to be honest. Um, but having said that, I do still get the feeling when I hear him speak about, about Eubank senior, although he's very respectful and polite. Yeah. He's still not having him really, is he? No, 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 that, that, that weren't fake. It wasn't a fake, Thing. When they tried to get Q and A's together and all that, you know, oh, it's hard work. You can just hear it on the phone, like, and my dad's patience just running out. But um, what you just said there about um, having peace throughout your career—that was one thing I spoke about with you, Banks. I was like, I never feel at peace. There's never a moment I feel. Uh, 
relax. And I've said, and I said it to me, he goes, Connor, through your whole career, you will never experience peace. The only time you will experience peace is when you've retired. I think maybe the only time I experience peace is on church on a Sunday for an hour. Do you know what I mean? And the support, fair enough. That's that's saying you got. Uh, I'll, I'll deal with. Um, I'll, I'll deal with that. But that's another thing as well. So it's more so outside the ring mentality uh, things that he's he's helped me with. Like he said to me once, the mindset he used to go into a fight with, and it gave me like you know, it gave me goosebumps. I didn't expect it to come from Chris. He's gone. If you have the audacity to get past my jab, you are walking into a wall of hell. And he said that to me, and it just made me like think. Go on, Chris. <laughs> you know what I mean? Didn't expect that sort of talk from you. But yeah, he's um he's a good man. But that beef between my dad and Chris ain't ain't going ain't going nowhere. I don't think. No, I I, I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. It was absolutely. I was God. I was obsessed with it because when when they were at it, that was when I was early teens and really getting into boxing and 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 it was massive. I mean, it was you. This is another thing that you won't. You, you can watch as many YouTube videos and even talk to the man himself or both of them about it as much as you want. You, it's impossible for you to understand how huge it was because it was terrestrial TV. The world was different then, and it was just it was enormous. Those those fights they were absolutely huge, and and I was kind of obsessed with you back. Really, I, I didn't really, I wasn't really that bothered who won those fights because there was so much to like about the Dark Destroyer as well. But Eubank was just I remember just looking at him, just thinking this bloke like. What is this bloke? Um, and then when I actually met him in person, he was exactly as I thought he would be. And I realised it's not an act. That is just him. Uh, and, and that just kind of blew me away even even more. But uh, anyway, enough of my rem- rem- reminiscences about that. One thing that Connor said there, Matt, which I think strikes me as a, as a civilian, if you like, as not a professional fighter, as being utterly exhausting, is the idea that you'll never be at peace during your career. I mean, did you find that? I mean, how do you, how do you cope with that? I mean, I I have frustrations in my own career, my own life, and I think my brain can be a difficult thing to kind of put to sleep at times. But never being at peace throughout your entire boxing career—that sounds—that sounds like hard work. Yeah, but I, I, he, he's bang on because you, you. I mean. I don't know about what Connor's like, but I was a massive overthinker. So sometimes, you know, I'd be physically exhausted training, but I couldn't really sleep because you know, I was tormented with all these thoughts and probably fears and, you know, not going to achieve it. Like you say, he talked about, oh, I'm not good enough. What about this and that? You know, and especially if you had a setback, a couple of setbacks, which I, I did, then I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's not meant to be, or you had a bad day in sparring and, you know, your confidence. Yeah in this constant internal battle where and, and that is that is torment that is not peace that is not zen trust you know and uh, you know sometimes ignorance is bliss but if you're an, if you're a thinker and if you're an overthinker you know you're an overactive mind you, you can torture yourself but um but it's a mad one because some in another way there's so much drive behind it. That's what drives you on as well. You know that you know because you want to achieve. You want to. You, you, you're searching for something. And, and but what happens is it's a mirage in the desert. You'll never get there. <laughs> you'll achieve this. You'll think I'll be happy when I win that, and you'll get there, and you won't be happy. And then you're thinking, well, I'll be happy when I get there, and you'll get there, and you won't be happy. So you'll never be at peace. Or you you know you're looking for you know things to to inboxing to achieve. And then you look back in your career when it's over, and you'll think, nah. I had a great run. It was a great journey. You know, I, I was never happy in my career. I wasn't even probably happy when I retired. But I look back now 
And I think, nah, it was unbelievable. Lived, lived, lived my dreams. You know, what an unbelievable journey. Even the, the highs and the lows. And you have to, you have to taste the bitter to appreciate the sweet. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 and you reflect and you think, nah, it was unbelievable. You know, unbelievable. But I think when you're in it and it's happening, you know, it's, it's hard to see it like that. I think most fighters are, I think most fighters are thinkers. I think that's one of the things that, that, that attracts me to the sport so much and why I enjoy talking to, uh, to yourself so much because, yeah, there's so much time to think. I think it's inevitable that people who choose this kind of life are thinkers. And, and somebody introduced me to a great, a great phrase fairly recently. Um, we've talked about this, Matt, off air, not on the podcast yet, but the, the phrase is the certainty of stupid people. Uh, and what, what this person meant by that is that if you're a thinker and you question everything and you're constantly self-examining, that leads you really to, to live that life where you're not sure of things, where you're reassessing things all the time because you're evolving. Um, and that leads to doubt, that leads to fear. Whereas if you don't do that and you're, you're just, you just think everything you think is 100% right uh, and you're completely confident about everything, but that really comes from the certainty of being a stupid person. Um, as I said, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Well, before we let you go, we really will let you go in a couple of minutes. Um, what's the current state of play with the fight against Chris Jenkins, who is a good, good fighter, good, solid fighter? That will be a very interesting fight, very good fight. Um, this is Sunday, the 6th of September, so it's possible by the time we put this one out which will be a week on Tuesday so the 15th that this might all be done and dusted but as, as, as of where we are now you're mandatory uh, and the fight has to be made I guess I mean what's what's going on well it was supposed to be purse bids Wednesday just gone uh, but I'm hearing purse bids are now going to be end of October or mid to end of October which probably means won't fight till no- end of November anytime December so I might have a warm-up fight in between. Um, but then again, what's a warm-up fight? <laughs> in my case, there ain't no such thing as a warm-up fight. Because when last time I fought a warm-up fight, it was a warm-up fight and up on the deck twice. So there ain't no warm-up fight. So I was looking at this. Um, we were supposed to, for the March day, we looked at a guy called Emmanuel Taylor. He fought Adrian Broner. He's fought that Matthias. Um, so on. You know, I sent his name through to Tony two days ago, three days ago. I sent his name through to Tony and said, oh, yeah, remember, we was going to try to get this guy. What about this guy? Do you know what I mean? Um, or Samuel Vargas or someone like that before um, Jenkins, December time. So it, it would be good to get out. But then again, if I don't get any of the warm-up fights, it doesn't. It won't bother me. I'm still working hard. I'm still, I ain't going to get in the ring and have all ring rust. I'm going to get in there and, you know... Uh, be revved up to have a fight and I'll take it I'll take it to to Jenkins and he's a he's a good fighter he's been a good champion it's my time now so the bonus with it coming in late November December time would be that we hopefully will have crowds back by then because there's some big big cards planned for for that time of year uh, which need which need crowds so that would be yeah that'd be great that'd be great um with or without crowds, um, and it, do, it doesn't matter with the, whether there's crowds or not crowds. Um, obviously, people are giving me stick for saying I won't fight about crowds. At the end of the day, they ain't the one who's got to get in the ring. Talk to me when you're the one who's got to get in the ring. Do you know what I mean? So, and and seeing how the shows have got on, 
you know, if it was for the right fight, the British and the Commonwealth, which I was mandatory for, um, I'll take that behind closed doors. That above me, I'll take Vargas behind closed doors. I'll take that Emmanuel Taylor behind closed doors. Do you know what I mean? But and and it's those are the fights we want. People, former European champions, former you know world title challengers. Those those are the sort of directions we want to head. British and Commonwealth champions. That's the direction we're heading in. I ain't gonna I ain't gonna sway what the plan was for anybody because I've only got one career. You know, promoters, managers, trainers. They all got. They can have loads of careers. I've only got one career, so I really got to sit down and do what's best for me. Do you know what I mean? And you know, I've got. I've, I've, God, I was about to say something that I'm not allowed to say. It's good news, though. I was about to say. Spill the beans. <laughs> oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm going I'm to announce it soon, but basically it's, um, it's, it's one of them things that, you know, changes your whole perspective on life. Ah, I think I might know what this hey, is. You, bambino. You... Oh, man, no way. Uh, anyway, you... <laughs> You could tell us. You could tell us when we. Um, well, this will be really annoying if to, for for the listeners. But you could tell us when we press stop in a, in, in a minute or two. Um, anyway, we'll wrap it up there because uh, we've taken up enough of your time. I think it's been great fun. This uh, we caught you just before you were about to to head out of the house. So perfect timing. Sunday morning, I went out for a run this morning. Uh, blew away a few cobwebs, and then when I got home, uh, my wife had been to McDonald's. So there were some pancakes and. Uh, and the McMuffin and the coffee waiting for me. So all that good work I'd done in the previous half an hour, I basically just undid straight away. But if, if, you're, if you're not a professional, then that's what exercising is about. You do it, you do it to be able to reward yourself. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll all go on and have, <laughs> you might have a slightly more productive day uh, than I've had. Uh, and everybody listening, thanks for, thanks for tuning in again, as always. And if you do find yourself on iTunes and you can give us a rate or a review, that'd be that'd be great. Um, thanks for the feedback over the last few weeks. It's always welcome, and we'll catch you again next time. Podcast Network.